0: Hey y'all, Eves here. Today's episode contains not just one, but two nuggets of history. These are coming from the TDIHC vault, so you'll also hear two hosts. Consider it a double feature. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's November 9th. Kristallnacht, or the Night of the Broken Glass, began on this day in 1938. This was a massive incident of anti Semitic violence that was orchestrated by officials in Nazi Germany. There was a lot of official participation in this, including the SS, the SA, the Gestapo, and the Hitler Youth. But it was made to look like it was just a spontaneous civilian uprising in response to outrage at the assassination of Third Secretary Ernst von Rath by 17-year-old Herschel Grinspan Herschel was Jewish, and he carried out this assassination after learning that his family had been forced out of their home in Hanover, Germany. Along with thousands of other Jews, they had been forced to leave Germany, and they were all trapped at the Polish border with virtually nothing. They weren't being allowed to cross into Poland, even though they were Polish citizens. Herschel learned that his family was trapped there when he got a postcard from his sister telling him about it. In Herschel's words, quote, I have to protest in a way that the world hears my protest, and this I intend to do. I beg your forgiveness. He bought a gun and ammunition, and he shot Secretary von Rath inside the German embassy in Paris. The Nazi government used this assassination as a justification for mass violence in cities and towns all over the German Reich. The assassination happened to take place just before the anniversary of the 1923 Beer Hall Putsch, in which Adolf Hitler and Erich Ludendorff tried to overthrow the German government— So Nazi leaders were gathered together in Munich to commemorate this anniversary. At their gathering, Nazi leaders started talking about how if an uprising happened, it shouldn't be stopped. But it was really clear that what they were aiming for was for an uprising to happen. So over November 9th and 10th, more than 1,000 synagogues were damaged. At least 267 of them were completely destroyed. More than 7,000 Jewish businesses and homes were vandalized and looted, Jewish cemeteries were desecrated, at least 91 Jews were killed, and an unknown number were humiliated, beaten, sexually assaulted, and raped. The name Kristallnacht comes from the shattered window glass that littered the streets of all of these cities and towns in the aftermath of this. And in the days immediately afterward, the German government started passing laws that effectively forced the Jewish population out of German economic life. These were on top of the Nuremberg laws and other anti-Semitic laws that had been passed in the months and years before this, but these laws became increasingly forceful and increasingly violent. Jews who had the means to do so fled Germany, but most of the other countries they might flee to had already reached their quotas for immigrants and refugees, so a lot of people could find nowhere that was willing to take them in. The international community's response to this was overall one of shock and horror, but the nations did very little to actually come to the aid of Jews and others who were increasingly persecuted in Germany and German-occupied territories. This continued as Nazi policies became more and more violent, targeting Jews as well as Jehovah's Witnesses, Freemasons, Romani, political dissidents, and others in what is now known as the Holocaust. You can learn more about this in the November 7th, 2018 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. That episode also talks about what happened to Herschel Grinspan after this was over. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to this Day in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a coup on U.S. soil.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Eves, and you're tuned into this Day in History class, a show that takes history and squeezes it into bite sized stories. The day was November 9, 1965. A huge electrical power failure sent parts of Ontario and the northeastern United States into darkness for up to 13 hours. At 5.16 p.m., a safety relay on a transmission line at Sir Adam Beck Station on the Ontario side of Niagara Falls tripped. That sent a surge of power south and caused nearby power lines to overload and fail. The failure caused blackouts in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Vermont, Pennsylvania, and the Canadian province of Ontario. Some cities that had their own electric utilities were not plunged into darkness. Though around 30 million people were affected by the blackout, the full moon that night did provide some light. Since it was a weekday rush hour when the blackout began, it was particularly disruptive. People were trapped in subways and elevators, and stoplights were out. Airplanes were unable to land, and trains were brought to a halt. Backup generators allowed telephone exchanges in some radio stations to keep running. Police and the National Guard were called in to stop looting, but there were few instances of rioting or looting during the confusion. Television networks faced a problem in getting news out about the blackout, since they relied on electricity. CBS's news program, which originated in New York, had to turn to a backup studio in Washington, and anchor Walter Cronkite had to deliver the blackout story by telephone to anchor Roger Mudd in Washington. The New York Times had to print a 10-page paper for November 10th at the printing presses of a New Jersey publisher. The Times was New York City's only major daily paper to put out an edition on the morning of the 10th. Power was gradually restored to the affected areas throughout the night and into the morning. Questions and rumors swirled about the cause of the outage, including one that it was an act of sabotage. People feared it was an attack, partly due to Cold War tensions, but authorities denied there was any foul play. Human interest stories were printed in newspapers, One story, for instance, reported that a boy in New Hampshire hit a light pole at the exact moment the power went out, and he ran home thinking he caused the blackout. U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson sent a memorandum to the chairman of the Federal Power Commission, saying in part, Today's failure is a dramatic reminder of the importance of the uninterrupted flow of power to the health, safety, and well-being of our citizens and the defense of our country. This failure should be immediately and carefully investigated in order to prevent a recurrence. It took investigators less than a week to figure out the cause of the blackout, the faulty relay, and officials announced the failure to the public. After the blackout, people were compelled to reconsider their reliance on electricity. Electrical engineers re-examined the power grid system, And regional reliability councils that establish industry standards, share information for systems analysis, and coordinate system design and operation were formed in the wake of the 1965 blackout. A myth emerged that a high number of babies were born nine months to the day after the blackout, but it was debunked. Some conspiracy theorists, though, still doubt that the relay was the reason for the blackout. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Send your best history memes to us at TDICH podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can send your thoughts or comments to us at this day at iheartmedia.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We'll see you again tomorrow with another one.